wanted to bring a diverse group of Mississippi millennials together who are doing amazing things in their own spaces, but also understand that in order for us to progress as a state, we have to pay attention, we have to be politically okay. But I discovered everything that I, I could do elsewhere, I can do here. Uh, and not only can I do it here, I can have a, a, a far greater impact right here in my own backyard. I don't care. I've been all over the country and there is really no place like Mississippi. Uh, from the coast to the Delta, uh, you got three different type of grooves. <laughs> so much that I didn't know about Mississippi. So I didn't learn to fall in love with Mississippi until after I left. To, to have the type of conversations that people can be like, I, I, I trust Aisha, I trust Marcus, I trust Matthew, I trust Jasmine, and I can understand what they're saying. We we the round table. <laughs> we the round table. <laughs> I love that. Welcome back to another episode of the Mississippi Millennial Roundtable. Today, we'll be talking about the state and national responses to the Jackson water crisis. Um, and this hits home for me because I still don't have clean water at my house. Um, and so day to day is looking very iffy, you know, like having to boil water for everything, using bottled water for, you know, <laughs> brushing your teeth, little simple things that you didn't think what we wouldn't imagine water impacts and it's and it's been wild. Um so today I'm here with Asia with Asia and Chuck and we'll be talking to Ty. Ty Marino who has been doing a lot of commentary about what's going on in Mississippi and how people are handling it. Um so Ty if you can start us off just telling us about you, like where you're from and what do you do? Yeah, so thank y'all for having me again. Um, uh, my name is Tysiana Marino. Um, I am from Pascagoula, Mississippi, so I'm from the coast. The coast. Um, the coast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and currently I live in Washington, D.C., and I'm a labor rights lobbyist for um, a union. So all that means is that I work with uh, members of Congress and their staff to pass legislation to help America's working families, which we know uh, working class people primarily made up of uh, black and brown folks. So um, think fight for 15, um, you know, access to health care, pay leave, those kinds of issues are the issues that I work on. Um, so yeah, happy to be here um, talking about this very important issue that hits home for a lot of the people that I care about. Um, so yeah, happy to be here. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, and so we want to talk about your story as a Mississippi millennial. Um, can you walk us through some of the experiences that has shaped you the most being from Mississippi? Yeah, um, so my story is, like I said earlier, I was born on the Mississippi Gold Coast. Um, and I think that the story that shapes me the most is my up upbringing um, on the Gulf Coast. I was raised primarily by my mother and my grandmother um, and growing up with them has definitely shaped me more than anything. Um, you know, my mother and my grandmother both never had much. We lived in Haywood, Haywood Brooks Project Department. So, um, you know, didn't grow up with a whole lot, but we always had what we needed. Um, and they always made sure that I understood that, you know, my value in the world wasn't measured by money or what my grandmother would have called worldly possessions. 
um, but by the good that I look to, you know, create and, and help people. Um, so right from the beginning, this sense of community um, and using what you're given or what you have, you know, access to, to uplift other people was instilled in me. Um, and when I moved to DC in 2017, I lost both my mother and my grandmother. Um, and although I didn't get to say goodbye to my, to my mom, I got to see, see my grandmother before her transition. And I was actually wearing this old Miss shirt and she told me, uh, don't you lose sight. Um, I sent you there for a reason. And so as a student of public policy, I was I always shared with her and anyone who would listen that, you know, the reason I'm in this field is to find solutions to help black and brown people. Um, live the lives that aren't riddled with unnecessary struggles. So um, growing up black and woman and poor in the Mississippi South and seeing how people treat you when you're black and woman and poor from the Mississippi South really shaped me. Um, and I think that being, um, you know, raised by women who refuse to let that stop them um, absolutely made me who I am. Um, and I have all that I am uh, today, I have I have them to thank for that. Wow, wow! And I want to say sorry about your losses, um, and and I think like that story is so common, you know, amongst like so many Mississippians, and so you know, it's like a bittersweet thing because what a blessing, you know, to to be able to know the value of community and know the value of resources and what it means to take nothing and create something, you know, over and over again. So I think it's beautiful that you were able to take that ski that. <laughs> that skill those skills and use them to further uplift your community I think that's that's really beautiful and thank you so much for all of the work that you do and have already done you know a lot of people don't know Ty been about this life you know I went to school <laughs> I went to Ole Miss I went to Ole Miss where she's always been about this this fight for like liberation and freedom and resources for us so Thank you for always being there. Um, and so, but we were inspired to reach out to you for the podcast based on your very honest and real Twitter thread. Um, and we're using that to frame the conversation about what's currently happening in Jackson and how it ties into a larger issue with how the federal government is responding during this crisis. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm actually going to read the thread just so people can have a little context and y'all can hear how she really popping. <laughs> popping, popping, popping her shit. Can we cuss on here? No. Now, okay. Jazz, you know we can cuss on here. Okay, I'm going to I don't usually be cussing on things, but how she be popping her shit. Okay, so in 2000, this is these are Ty's words. In 2005, when Hurricane Katrina hit, Mississippi was gravely overlooked help never came we had to rebuild ourselves in 2021 a winter storm hit and left my loved ones without running water and power for days there was no national fundraisers or calls to help Mississippians this lost cause mentality that the nation takes towards Mississippi has so many real life implications that folks don't consider a mentality that almost always disenfranchises black and brown Mississippians the most a mentality that translates into policy or the lack thereof it's all jokes about the progress Mississippi has or hasn't made, but never a discussion about the ways the state and the federal government continue to fail to show up for Mississippians in moments of crisis. The way both continue to oppress Mississippians and make progress seemingly impossible. How the hell 
can we be expected to be up to speed with the rest of the world when the rest of the world has access to resources that we do not, political power that we do not, and national empathy in a way that we do not. So this is the thread. Um, and so can you tell us a little bit about what inspired this? Like what place were you in when you when you hit sin? Like what what's the story behind this thread? Yeah, I was fed up. <laughs> um, I was I was fed up at that point. And I mean, I was fed up and I wasn't even going through it. Um, so I what has inspired me, oddly enough, was you, Jazz. Um, and you know, having my family and my friends in Jackson um in 2021 without running water for over a week at that point, and at this point, over several weeks. Um, and so I think what initially is in, you know, what, what inspired me was, was rage, um, you know, for people that I loved and seeing how the world flocked to help, uh, people in other States that were not the blackest state in America, but they were not willing to even, even look or discuss what was going on in Jackson, Mississippi. Um, and, and that continues to be going on in Jackson, Mississippi, even today, you know, like Jazz, we, we talked and, and she said that she still doesn't have clean water, access to clean water. Like that, that is not, that is not a mistake. That is not, that's a policy failure, but that's not a mistake. So um, I think that I was at a place of, of just being fed up with feeling like Mississippi is always left out or that we always have to wait our turn when we create realities for other people that we don't have access to. That's a word, that's a word because Mississippi has always been at the forefront, like historically in change and, and cultivating change for us and for the, for the nation. Um, and so when you say, when you mentioned this lost cause mentality that a lot of people have when it comes to Mississippi, what does that mean to you? And how do you think it impacts our ability to create progress as Mississippians? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, I actually read this article last year um, that I thought about when I tweeted that part in particular. And it says something to the tune of like many, excuse me, many Southern states have a saying, thank God for Mississippi uh, because regardless of how their state may rank in education or employment or even life and life expectancy, uh, they can always count on Mississippi to rank last. Um, and so when I say like people treat Mississippi as a lost cause, that that I mean that they presume that because of our placement, um, you know, on all of these obscene ranking lists, um, that there's no hope for Mississippi. Um, and there's this misconception misconception that people in our legislature are the most intelligent and the most aware. And, um, you know, the truth is that they're not. Um, a lot of people believe, uh, and, and a lot of people, um, excuse me, a lot of what our people in our legislator, legislature believe and what they're moved to act on is solely based on public perception. So if the public perceives Mississippi to be a lost cause, so does the legislature. And I mean that on a state level and on a national level, regardless of the issue. Um, and so that is how they treat Mississippi accordingly, like a lost cause. That means that when it's time to fund, Mississippi uh, you know, gets, gets the least. When it's time to respond, Mississippi gets the least. Um, and that, like I said earlier, these things are not by mistake. 
Um, they, they treat us like this very intentionally. Um, and so when I, when I say that, that lost cause mentality, um, that's something that people have widely accepted that Mississippi is just always going to be last. There's really not a lot that we can do to help them. And as a result, we should essentially let them suffer and die out. Um, and so for me, you know, when I think about how that impacts our ability to create progress, that doesn't really leave us in a place to do a lot of good. You know, if we're not getting the resources that we need um, to fight things like poverty, to fight things like hunger, to fight things like having access to clean water in 2021. Um, if we're not given those resources, then we can't create that change. And if people don't see us as worthy of that, they're not going to give us those resources. Um, so first, like, I think people often like, um, they, they underplay how important narratives are. Um, narratives are, are very important. What the, the, the narrative that people give Mississippi, if they continue to treat it like it's, it's a lost cause, so will our legislators. They're going to continue to treat it like that because uh, that's, that's public perception. That's what they're moved by. That's what keeps them in their seat and in office. Um, so we have to begin to apply pressure to the people that have the ability and have the power and, and hands in those pots um, that can actually move change. I absolutely love that. And I think that um, so much about what you're saying, I want to unpack. I can really listen to you and Jasmine talk all day. <laughs> but I... I think one of the main things that really stuck out to me was that policy failure, not a mistake. Mm -hmm. And that is such a huge statement because I think a lot of times the way we conceptualize the things that happen here is in the frame of like this, you know, winter storm or this pipe bus or whatever it is, the crisis for this moment. Well, it was a mistake. People didn't know that, you know, this this sort of thing could potentially happen. Um, but no, like there is data around these policies that are passed constantly that warn against what the long term impact of some of these things are. Um, and I think that's a really important thing to uplift. So I really like that policy failure, not a mistake piece. Um, and in line with that. In your initial thread, you talked about there being many ways, you know, many different policy failures in which the state and local, I mean, the state and federal government fail in their response to crisis in Mississippi. Mm -hmm. um, what have been some of those other personal, I mean, other failures in your personal opinion or personal experience? Yeah, I think the way that I look at it is like almost in, in terms of every single issue, Mississippians are are harmed um, the most. So we can take any issue really, and, and we can talk about it and we can see that in Mississippi, it's probably happening on much larger of a scale. Um, so, you know, we can talk about that in terms of education, you know, people talk about, well, that's just Mississippi, you know, they'll always be behind in education or that's just Mississippi, they'll always have the highest po poverty rates. Um, these are very harmful perceptions because one, it absolves our elected leaders of the responsibilities that they have in creating this reality. So when I talked about um, the policy failures of both the state and the federal government, they have roles that they played in creating this reality for Mississippians. This didn't just happen. This wasn't just happenstance. 
um, th there are very real things that they've done over time in the, in the pooling of, of funds. Uh, you can look at the Mississippi State Legislature and see how many DMVs they've closed down in the effort to suppress more votes. Um, you know, these are things that, that they try to distance themselves from, but they actually have a very real and active hand in creating. Um, and then the second harm that this creates is that it gives room for these elected leaders to continue to allow these realities to fester and to grow because that's just how it is. So people become comfortable treating Mississippi as though all of these things that cause it to fall last on all of these lists are not a result of decades of like policy failures um, of cutting the cutting of funds from education systems, um, you know, of the cutting of funds from housing systems. Um, and, you know, I look at even, I think about Hurricane Katrina, for example, um, and I place blame on both the federal government and the state of Mississippi because FEMA dragged its ass to get to Mississippi when they flocked to New Orleans to help, right? Um, and then we look at, like, I remember at that time I was living in, I was still living in Pascagoula, but I was living in a different project apartment. Instead of rebuilding and restoring where we lived, they, they um, told us that we had X amount of days to get our stuff out, um, to pack up, to find somewhere else to go. They found temporary placements for some elders, but they didn't find it for people that were like maybe under 65. So that meant myself and my grandmother didn't have anywhere to go. Um, and then we had to wait. We had to stay with a, a friend of hers and wait months before they, they found another project home placement for us. Um, like th those are policy failures. You know, the, the, the government, the federal government, especially in the, the terms of a national disaster, has an absolute responsibility to make sure at the very least people have a place to lay their heads. Um, and, and not only did the state government fail in doing that, but the federal government knew that that was happening because it didn't just happen in Pasadena, it happened across the coast. Um, but people, but the federal government knew that that was happening and still did nothing to step in. So when we look at these uh, these instances where these kinds of, of tragedies happen or or just um, you know things uh, unfold and we see like today with the water crisis, I mean with the yeah with the water crisis, like that was an issue that had been growing for years. A lot of people knew that the water pipes in Jackson were bad. They just didn't care enough to fund them and get them fixed. Um, and so. That's, that's sort of what I mean by like these policy failures or these government failures on the part of both the federal government and the state government, because we can point fingers at the state and say that they're to blame, but we've seen the federal government act on behalf of other states um, or act when other state governments failed too in a way that they still have yet to do for Mississippians. Yeah, uh, so I, I appreciate your, uh, your, your viewpoint, your vantage point, your, your comments. This is Chuck. Um, I, I live on the coast now. I'm originally from Mobile. Okay. Uh, I I graduated and worked at Tougaloo. So I graduated from Tougaloo 2003, worked at Tougaloo for 10 years, working at Tougaloo during the, the Katrina crisis. Um, so I know exactly what you're, you're speaking of when um, you've got college campuses and communities that are basically shut down from the coast all the way up to central Mississippi, specifically Jackson. And then uh, you have friends, family members, and community folk that, that go into action, um, you know, like the folks did uh, with the, the winter storm. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of times uh, we're definitely, I agree with you, we're forgotten about 
mm-hmm. from the, the state and federal level, but the, the capacity, and th- this is my reason for, you know, for saying this and bringing this up, the capacity of, and the connection, the connection, the capacity and the connection for the folk that do this type of work every day, where we can call or, or let folks know that are in these, uh, these seats of distributing funds that are not connected to the government, but they're, they lie or reside in the, the nonprofit sector, um, or I guess you say the philanthropic sector. Uh, we have those connections and we were able to, to, to go into action to make things happen mm-hmm. for our people. Right. I, I don't say that to, um, to try to shift it, to say, you know, that the government doesn't have a responsibility, responsibility, yeah. because at the end of the day, um, if you're an elected official, you have a responsibility to represent all of your constituents. So, uh, I appreciate your your ending uh, tweet in your thread by saying, you know, uh, tater tot, we coming for your ass next. <laughs> right. um, and, I, and I say tater tot, you know, with all the disrespect meant in the world. Yeah. And I cuss with the uh, with the ass and and uh, put us on it because I want, you know, folk to know that, you know, I, I'm un- unapologetic in my feelings because you've been unapologetic in the way uh, Mississippi politicians, um, you've been unapologetic in the way that that you continuously, you know, uh, I guess you say don't do or, or uh, your your inaction um, as it relates to to black and, and brown folks. But now the question that I got for you, mm-hmm. you um you you talked about public perception mm-hmm. and and how that influences legislators and, and the decisions that they make. Now, what has been your response to folks? Uh, you know response from folks outside of the state mm-hmm. um and then you know what are they saying because we we know how our elected officials are acting but you know what about you know the the, the people the community uh uh the twitter mobs black twitter etc what, what are they saying yeah a lot of people were were supportive um i will say widely people were shocked um and they didn't know i got a lot of responses to the tweet that was just simply like, you know, I, I had no idea this was happening or, you know, I had no idea this is what, you know, what happened. Um, so a lot of people were, com- I, I think, caught off guard, you know, by the reality because they had only heard about what was going on in Texas. They hadn't really heard about, um, you know, what was taking place in Mississippi. So first, I think, you know, it was it was a matter of, um, of educating people in some way. Or, or, you know, bringing people up to speed on what was going on because everybody didn't know, which is, you know, to some degree, it's a part of the issue, right? Um, is that, you know, and, and, and in my tweet, I, I think one of the things that I said was like a, a, a lack of a, a national empathy. Um, and I don't think that that means people don't have the capacity to empathize with Mississippians. I think people absolutely can empathize and sympathize with, what's, with what happens in Mississippi. Um, but what I mean by that is uh, these are not stories that often make the national spotlight. You know, these are not stories that often break national news. And it's not until we shake the table that that happens. Um, so um, the response was this response was a lot of, of, of empathy and it was a lot of sympathy, but it was also a lot of um, people just not having access to or not knowing what was going on because none of that was being reported. Um, and I think that um, 
you know, what this says about the national perception is that people do have the capacity to care about this issue. We just have to make it a priority for them to. Um, and we have to, you know, and I think that we're in a different position now than we've been historically. Um, because I think where historically, you know, we had to rely on national news to, um, you know, create a conversation around certain issues. We don't really have to do that anymore. You know, we have access to social media so we can be uh, national news persons uh, right on our phones, right? Um, and so I think that right now, um, you know, people are really honed into what's happening in Jackson. People are now made aware um, and so there's, there's this like public pressure that's starting to happen. Um, now, I don't know that that'll lead necessarily to change, but um, that's a step forward, right? Um, and so I think that's, that's primarily the response that I've gotten is, and you know, there, of course, there were some people that were just like, well, you know, Mississippi is just so behind because all they do is elect, elect Republicans. Um, and, you know, you got, you, you have some of those kinds of responses that really aren't uh, that well thought out. But um, other than that, it was it was a tremendous amount of support and people asking, how can I help? Where can I donate? Um, you know, is there a fund? Um, and so, you know, that also gives room, like you said, um, on more of like, uh, not the charity, but community support front, I'll say that. It gives more on the community support front for us to, you know, create our own funds and do things that we know the federal government won't, or not the federal, excuse me, uh, that we know the state government ne won't necessarily uh, move quickly to do um, until we get them out of those seats. Yeah, yeah. Um, I it, it, it makes me think about, um, you know, things that have happened outside of the state where there, there's been mass mobilization to uh, register more voters mm -hmm. and um, and then subsequent, subsequently being able to elect other folks. So would you say it's, it's as simple as, you know, we need to elect better leaders? Um, no, I wouldn't say that it's as simple as that. Um, okay. I think that, that that is definitely a great start is to get um, a Mississippi legislator that looks uh, and reflects the, the ideals and the principles of, of what Mississippi's most vulnerable populations need. Um, I think that, you know, electing better, better elected officials is definitely the first start. It's one of the first starts, I'll say. Um, but I think that we have a lot of policy change in the state of Mississippi that needs to happen. So there is a lot of reconfiguring of our laws, um, of our policies, of our budget uh, that need to happen um, on, a, on a grand scale. So, um, you know, electing better leaders is definitely a start, but we also have to, um, we have to uh, come to terms with the reality that um, everybody doesn't have access to the ballot box and that it's not just as simple as everybody going out to vote. Um, and I say that because Mississippi is one of the most suppressed uh, voting uh territories in the United States of America. Um, there are still uh, voter suppression tactics and voter suppression laws in place that are currently being repealed. I, I read about um, a law for the governorship that was recently repealed that said that in order to win the governorship, you had to have a majority vote and you had to have a majority vote in uh, like a 
122 districts in Mississippi. And so you had to win like on two fronts in order to, to be the governor. Um, but, you know, that's really difficult when you when you think about the way that uh, district lines are, for example, gerrymandered in the state of Mississippi. Um, so it's it's much bigger than just electing better, better leaders, because in Mississippi, the people that that have the uh, the the uh, ideas necessary to elect better leaders, and, and I don't mean like uh, policy experts. I mean everyday people who who know their issues and who who know uh, how these things impact their lives. Those are the people that have you know the knowledge of like what we need to progress, and those are also often the people that um, their access to the ballot box is limited a lot more um, than than other than others. I'll just say that. Um, so I, you know, electing better leaders is definitely a great start, but we have to make it easier for, for folks to do that electing. Look, I, I wanted to, to, to pick your brain just, just a moment before we, we move forward. Um, I'm of the opinion that we need elected officials that actually have media backgrounds. Uh, and, and I'm, I'm not saying like, I want a, uh, a celebrity in, in chief as a governor, because we, we know that that is a, a bad, <laughs> a bad situation to find any, any government in, but mm-hmm. I want somebody that, that actually understands. And I'm, I'm going to your, your point about controlling the narrative. Mm-hmm. I want somebody to understand what it means to um, position themselves in a particular way to uh to push a particular um, point of messaging, so mm-hmm. I, I guess maybe not media w- would be the wouldn't it be be the best way to say it, but maybe someone that understands messaging mm-hmm. uh, in a an elected official seat, most specifically in the governor's seat, because I don't think that Tate Reeves and maybe you know potentially the the last I don't know maybe you know four governors. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that they all su- subscribe. I, we, we haven't had a, a, a Democratic governor since what? I don't know. My, my maybe, maybe William Winter is the last right. one. So, and, and that's a long time ago. Yeah. Well, Ronnie Musgrove. Ronnie I, Musgrove. Ronnie Musgrove. Well, yeah. What year was that? Um, I want to say that was... Don't make me laugh. Look, whatever it is, is that I, I think that the these folks don't really understand what it is to control the narrative and they allow, uh, and I'm not, I don't want, you know, government to, to influence, you know, reporting, but I want things that are said at the, or, or, or that are spoken from, um, uh, the podium to, to portray Mississippi in, in the, the best light possible, mm-hmm. meaning that, I don't think they these guys know how to do that. And uh and it may be that we most definitely I think we we probably need a woman to be governor because women know how to say things to where people understand them. Yeah, and I would even argue that that they probably know what to say but they don't want to say it because that would <laughs> That would that would demonstrate how much uh, responsibility uh, and and how much of a role that they play in creating this quote unquote like, bad reality, you know. Um, so I think in part it's it's not saying the thing that needs to be said because it it'll show that that you know you've been a participant in this. 
Um, and so I absolutely agree with you. Um, I think like, you know, as a formal organizer, like messaging is, is, is so important. It's important to be able to um, speak not only clearly, but just to demonstrate like, you know, the point that you're trying to get across um, in a way that's digestible to the most amount of people so that they understand it and that they can get engaged with it. Okay, so we've covered a lot today, Ty, and I think it's been a really rich conversation, particularly because um, the water crisis in Jackson is really nuanced. You have all of these different layers that we've discussed. You have this layer of people still not having water, people playing the blame game and trying to figure out how do we get in this space with weeks without folks with water. Uh, and something that I think is really, really great that Chuck pointed out is the organizations that have stepped in um, the People's Advocacy Institute, Mississippi Move, um, Mississippi Votes, Poor People's Campaign, organizations that have had to fill in the gaps um, because of this crisis. Now, Mississippi having a sense of community is, is something that is has been present and is going to be present. And it's something I really loved about um, how we started this podcast and you talking about your personal story, Ty, of just having community and building community. So that's one thing that is always going to be present, even in crisis in Mississippi. Yeah, um, that's really what you, what, that's what. Go ahead. I think that's what keeps us afloat. Actually, is mm. how, you know how strong our community base is. I've I've lived in I lived in two parts of Mississippi, and I've also lived now in D.C. for three years. Um, and I look at even an issue like homelessness here. And I tell people, you know, y'all like the world talks a lot about Mississippi, but I have not seen nearly this much houselessness uh, in in Mississippi in my entire life as I have seen in the three years that I've been here. And I firmly believe that is because of the way our community is set up, um, you know, and it, it, it might sound simple, but like it it's it's important. And like people are doing the work of the government every day, like. I remember growing up, I had great aunts who, you know, there was a different person staying in their extra bedroom every month. Um, and that that's intention. That is that is preventing homelessness. Like that is a policy, um, you know, that that's a policy enactment uh, right there in, in somebody's home. And so community is. Yeah, it's it's it is at the foundation of what makes Mississippi what it is. I love that. And so along with that, um, what are some of your favorite or one of your favorite Mississippi memories? Oh, one of my favorite Mississippi memories. Um, I probably will have to point back, <clears throat> excuse me, to, to college. And it, it actually has nothing to do with politics at all. Um, <laughs> but, and, and I'm sure Jazz, if, if, uh, you know, I'm sure Jazz can relate to this, but um, being with the the MPHC at my at my previous university University of Mississippi um and just having like fun and dancing and laughing and talking with other you know um black millennials who who are eager to create change and who are eager to do the work um those are my fondest Mississippi memories and and you know I also have to say doing that same thing at home with with my mother and my grandmother definitely um, those are my fondest Mississippi memories are the moments where I can tap into that community and I feel I feel safe and I feel seen. Um, and, and that's a world that that I honestly I, I want to work to create for for everybody because, um, you know, that that matters. That's what sticks. 
Um, and and I, I I wish sometimes I wish I could go back and and you know just have uh, one last stroll session with my line sisters or you know go to one one more party with my friends. But um, you know those those moments where where we don't have to think and we don't have to be uh, the change agents of the world and we don't have to uh, step in shoes that that other people quite frankly should be feeling because they they've been elected to do that. Um, those moments um, mean the most to me. And those are the moments that make, um, you know, the culture that I felt and, and uh, you know, would like to believe that I helped to create in Mississippi, um, you know, so valuable and, and, and so meaningful. Yeah, you, you said NPAC. I saw you had uh, a Delta sign. <laughs> dollar sign I was just you know, yeah. yeah 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 you know I got a rep Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated okay so. <laughs> okay I love that and I agree I can't wait until outside is open open so that homecoming is a thing again my spirit is craving a good homecoming yes yes, yes. <laughs> we need that and i mean open safely you know when all these people not wearing right anymore right like, oh, we need to get this vaccine out because people just have lost it completely lost it i got my <laughs> vaccine and i'm ready for mississippi greek weekend like, like <laughs> throttle on the beach barbecue pit lit the beer's flowing, the bottles popping, everything. Like, I'm ready. Yeah, I love it. Um, so this has been an amazing conversation. Um, but just to cap us off, how can people stay connected with you um, and be more informed about your commentary, specifically about Mississippi? Yeah, so the best way to stay connected to me is through social media. Um Folks can follow me, and my social media is handled on Instagram and on Twitter, uh, Tysiana M. Um, and yeah, people can follow me, and I do follow back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I do follow back. So uh, yeah, people can follow me there. I will say I'm a whole person, so you know it's not always going to be political commentary. You know, every now and then I will, you know, retweet a, a video, Megan twerking that thing. So. <laughs> Um, you know, Same. I, <laughs> I try to be I try to be a whole person and, and not just, you know, the political tie. So, uh, yeah, just just set your expectations when coming to to my space. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, that's that's how people can stay connected and always feel free to, you know, reach out and talk. I'm a person that loves to talk to other people, especially people that are in this fight. And so um, I'm always open to more friends and uh, feel free to reach out and to, to connect with me. And, and um, yeah, and especially any people in like the DMV area, um, I've meeting more and more Mississippians like every day. And I love that. I love like, you know, being able to kind of create that community uh, away from home. Um, so yeah, always feel free to reach out and connect. Sounds great. And that is like my motto. Um, I'm a full person. So people who know, who follow me on Twitter know you're going to get a Megan video, a LeBron Stan tweet. It's just, it's just who I am as a person. Um, and we deserve to be whole people, you know?
Okay, so that wraps our episode of the Mississippi Millennial Roundtable. We encourage you all to, if you haven't already, check out our last episode with Rakia Lamumba, where we're talking about the Mississippi Bell Fund Collaborative. And we encourage you to check out the rest of our archive as well to stay up to date with issues impacting um, folks in Mississippi. Thank you guys for listening. <laughs>